0: fell in love with the trail because of you know in the in the Trek article that I wrote I said that it, it he described it to me as though he could you know when he would get up to the top of a you know beautiful mountain peak that he could see into the soul of our planet and uh, but it was the community of people that he got to spend time with that I think he loved more than anything and uh, Trevor, was a minimal, minimalist. He was very simplistic in nature. Th- through hiking was perfect for him.
1: Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this episode's going to be a little different. Today's guest is Doug Lair sharing this story for his son Trevor Microsoft Lair, who lost his life while through hiking the PCT at Apache Peak just outside of Wild on March 27th of 2020. Trevor was just 11 days into his hike. Doug's mission now is to make sure that no other family gets that same call by encouraging hikers to embrace three key mindsets that might have saved his son's life. First, don't shortchange your safety at the expense of grams and ounces. Second, develop sound risk management strategies before you hit the trail. And finally, embrace the alternate. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Doug. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm sure you would mostly have preferred it not to be you talking to the Hiking Through Podcast at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thank you for being on to tell Trevor's story.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. It's kind of an emotional day today. You know, for those of you who've kind of followed along on his journey, it um, he was a brilliant, brilliant computer coder and fresh out of out of college. He was offered a position uh, to work at Microsoft, and he was going to get off trail on July 1st. He had hoped to make it to Crater Lake. Uh, I don't think that he would have made it that far, but uh, today would have been his first day at Microsoft. So kind of a melancholy uh, evening for me, reflecting on that. A bit emotional, but uh, yeah, but I'm I'm grateful to, to be on for sure.
1: Yes. Thank you. That's, that's a, that's a big day or this is. is a big day, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So probably some people have heard the backpackers radio podcast, but for people who haven't, why don't you kind of bring us up to speed?
0: Yes. I'll try to, to give you the abbrevi- abbreviated abridged version. Um, Trevor and our family, we, we grew up in Ohio. Hiking was not something that was, was part of our fami- family's, uh, you know, thing to do. It just, there's not a lot of great hiking trails in Ohio. And um, in 2010, my job required us to relocate to Texas. Yet again, another state with not a lot of great uh, hiking options. But um, Trevor's senior year in high school, right after he, he graduated, he had an opportunity with one of his best friends to uh, go on a vacation to Yosemite. And that changed his life forever. They uh, did three day hikes, averaging about 17 or 18 miles a day. And he came home and it was, um, it was as if he had been living his entire life in black and white. And all of a sudden it became very colorful for him. And, um, so he just wanted to make that a staple of, of his life. And so
1: when he was at Yosemite, what did he see? What was, did he oh, tell you kind sure. of what that moment was?
0: You know, of course he was new to hiking. I just think, you know, the, going from what we had to look at in ohio and texas and then going up to yosemite into the valley and and seeing el cap and and all these other beautiful structures and and streams and and just the the scenery was just so spectacular for him he i remember him t- texting me a photo at the end of one long day and he just had this beautiful smile on his face and unbeknownst to him at the time (laughs) there was a mountain lion in the background of the photo that he had taken he they had no idea that it was there um needless to say i it it, uh i that was one of the first things that i saw but he was he just could not have been happier now keep in mind that this was you know more of a family vacation so they went to one of these glamping sites i guess so yeah. you hike all day, and then you go back, and you essentially sleep in a bed, and they have hamburgers and cheeseburgers and <laughs> and whatnot for you to eat. So, you know, they were they were really living large. They didn't have to rough it in the evenings or or carry a lot of their their own gear. So so they were slack packing for them for the most part of it. And uh, but yeah, he just came back, and he just cannot stop talking about it. And as soon as he came home, he said. I want to do a section hike in the Appalachian Trail before I leave for college. And um, he was going to go with a buddy of his that got the flu at the last minute. And um, I was a very large man at the time. I've I've shed quite a few pounds, <clears throat> excuse me, since then. But I went, as I joke, from couch to AT in 12 hours. <laughs> and uh, That's quite and, a turnaround. Um, yeah. And we did a... Um, three-day, 30-mile section hike nice. that was punishing. I lost two toenails from that hike, chafing that I, I care not to describe. <laughs> we went to uh, a Cabela's the night before and bought more gear and a buck knife and bear spray and all kinds of, you know, we packed for our fears and took so much food that we didn't even eat half of, but, uh, and it kicked my ass. But it was one of the best memories that I'll ever have with him, and so he goes off to college, joins the trekking club at Ohio State University, and does a lot of um, uh, at section hikes with his college roommate. Uh, when he would come home on on breaks, he and I would would do um, trips together. Uh, we'd done Big Bend, which is down in, in Southwest Texas. And uh, one of my favorites, a nice, uh, you know, a really sharp little um, trail loop up in the Washita National Forest in Arkansas. It's called Eagle Rock Loop. Still probably one of my favorite trails that I've done with him. And but about a year and a half ago, he came to me and he said, "Dad, um, I think that if I bust my ass and continue to get good grades, I can graduate from school a semester early." And I said, "Great, go get a job, pay off some of these student debts." And he said, "Well, it's not quite exactly what I had in mind. I'd like to do the Appalachian or the uh, the PCT and um, and I kind I didn't think that was a very smart thing to do. Uh, he had a uh, what was hopefully going to be a very lucrative career ahead of him and and I, like many other people who at the time, who didn't know a whole lot about hiking have societal expectations that you graduate from college, you go off, you get a job, you get in the corporate world, you family, white picket fence, the whole nine yards. And, um, and that's just not, that may have been what I wanted him to do, but it's not what he wanted to do. And so we went back and forth for a couple of months about whether or not that was a smart thing to do and how he was going to fund his trip. And ultimately I got a hundred percent behind him and started helping him research this and for the better part of 12 months that's all I did every night every waking moment that I had reading articles reading books um you name it I was trying to absorb as much information as I could and and I figured that if um if he was going to go I was going to be his trail manager so to speak and you were um, navigator I was as a navigator yes and um so jump ahead to March 16th of 2020. Um, he started off at the Southern Terminus, you know, just as a point of reference, uh, Trevor, because of his day that he would have had to have gotten off trail, which he tentatively selected as July 1, because of course, today he would have started working at, uh, at Microsoft. Um, he knew an early start date was going to be required. Now he had a really low lottery number, so he—it's not like he voluntarily chose March 16th. That was kind of the best date, but at the same time, it worked out for him, uh, even though it was an early start date because he needed to get as many miles in as he could. And we both universally agreed that if the Sierra was gonna—if it was gonna be a heavy snow year, he would hike to Kennedy Meadows, jump off. And he would um, head to the southern terminus of the Arizona Trail and hike up to Utah. But early snow reports were that it was going to be a good year to start early. We were very excited. COVID had just started to rear its ugly head. It was about three or four days earlier than that that things kind of started to fall apart in our country. And I remember asking him that if he thought it was a good idea. And he said, at the time we had this conversation. We were out in uh, Phoenix. My, my parents lived out there and they were going to be the ones to drive him to the terminus. So we went out and spent a few days with my parents and I spent a few days with him. And, and he said, dad, I'm, I can practically, you know, spit on the, the terminus from here. There's no way I'm not going to do this. And, and he says, I'll be fine. And for the first week that he was on trail, uh, we immediately started having disagreements about whether or not he should get off trail or not. There was a lot of uh disagreement on that i felt he had a social responsibility to get off trail and his trail family a handful of which were from um were international hikers and had no place to go they quickly learned that it was not illegal to be on on trail maybe unethical but not illegal and that they were going to press on and of course at the time um, the governor of California, I watched his press conference. He said the state of California was sheltering in place. And I had never really heard of that term before, but it sounded bad. It sounded like, you know, martial law where you might get arrested if you leave your house. And, and I'm thinking that my parents were going to be his bailout point if he got injured or needed to get picked up or whatever the case was. And now that there's a shelter in place order, would it be illegal for them to even drive into the state of California pick him up and so i was as worried as much uh for them as i was for him and and the people that he might expose in in small mountain towns uh, heading north but after we realized that he just was not going to get off trail we kind of reformed a plan that would require as few town stops as possible for him he was going to do long food carries to try and, you know, be as responsible as you could be under the circumstances. And on March 27th, while hiking up the um, San Jacinto mountain range into Wild, came to a very, very steep section of trail on the northeast, face, uh, northeast facing slope of Apache Peak. And the ice was covered with about three or four inches of fresh snow from the night before. And he slipped and fell about 600 feet down down an ice chute. And uh, by the time the search and rescuers got to him, he had already passed from his injuries. So my new passion in life is to tell his story, to memorialize him the best I can. It, It it is ironic, very therapeutic for me to talk about him and his hiking trip. It's a way that I stay connected to him. So I stay, I still chat very frequently with the hikers that he was with at the time of the accident and tell his story that it might be a cautionary tale that maybe other maybe less experienced, uh, hikers who aspire to be through hikers might be able to learn from and developing sound risk management skills, assessing trail conditions in front of you, uh, aligning your, Skill set with those trail conditions, making sure that you have the right gear, etc. So, if I can help others, and if I can maybe change the way somebody approaches their through hike, or to have them reconsider a dangerous section that they're about ready to head out on, or to just give them information that will help them make it for a safer hike, then, then that's um, what I'm here to do. I, I, I tell my family and others. That if another hiker suffered the same fate as Trevor, and even worse so in the same section i wouldn't and I did nothing to tr- to, to try to stop it i wouldn't be able to live with myself so that 's how I find myself spending my Monday evening with you Thank you.
1: What equipment did Trevor have with him at that point? Was he still expecting kind of desert
0: yeah so it's then? it's interesting when everybody thinks of the, the quote unquote desert section of the PCT, that's all they think of is sand and heat and sun and but it, it is high desert and there are a lot of mountain ranges that you hike through and early in the season, you know, you can be exposed to some pretty dangerous weather. Things looked beautiful for Trevor heading into um, heading into the hike and then about three days before he was supposed to start, we started getting forecasts of some you know, pretty bad snowfalls coming in, um, around Mount Laguna and, and even up into San Jacinto, you know, I, I have, I questioned myself and I, and I have a lot of regrets. You know, one of the deals that, that Trevor and I made with each other is that he was going to focus on his studies so he could graduate early and that I was going to, you know, in, in the evenings and during my free time, I was going to research and, and help us develop a plan for him. And so I started watching all these, these vloggers. I watched Dixie's hike and Darwin's hike and, uh, I tat and, and marmalade and second chance and all these, all these hikers who've put out, you know, YouTube videos. And, but what I, what somebody, you know, brought to my attention is they said, you know, Doug, don't beat yourself up too bad because in the last 10 years, Apache peak leading into Wild has probably been closed more so than it's been open, uh, because of fire closures. And as, as I reflect on that now in 2019, it was open. And, uh, and I remember a video from, um, uh, second chance who had a very infamous video that he produced at Apache peak where he was looking into the camera crying that he was so scared about crossing this section and um but all these other hikers there was no mention of apache peak but that's because they they took the road walk into Idlewild. and uh one thing that i have since learned that i would uh, you know tell everybody who is preparing for a pct through hike you know randomly select years because every year is different and every year a different section of trail is is open or closed or or what, happy, what have you. And if you just look at what happened last year, you're not going to get a snapshot of what might happen this year. So Trevor had, you know, my wife and I were very fortunate for the better course of a year. We helped invest in, you know, we considered a lot of the, the very best ultralight equipment for him. but. Because Apache Peak section had been closed so frequently, all of the, the re, you know, the reviews and word that I was getting and reading about was it was uh, San Jacinto Peak and Fuller Ridge that was the real dangerous section. And of course, that's on the north side of Idlewild. So we shipped him his uh, micro spikes and ice axe that was waiting at the post for him day of the accident so he had you know everything he needed with the exception of the most important equipment that he needed yeah and so that's 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 really part of my my messaging moving forward is uh we were so focused on on weight as in you know as most hikers do but maybe if we would have been more focused on safety and what he needed as opposed to what he didn't need Maybe he'd still be with us today.
1: Safety is such a difficult phrase when you're talking about the PCT or the CDT, AT, any of these things. Because so often in the people that I'm talking to, they talk about the safety of it. But you get to parts and you just you sort of have Mm -hmm. to go with what you've got at that moment. And... I would be willing to bet that a lot of times when you're making those decisions, it's probably not safe.
0: Yep.
1: Or what would you yeah, call it's,
0: safe? Uh, it's interesting because a lot of times you don't know you're in a dangerous situation until you're in a dangerous situation. And by then it's too late. The Riverside Mountain Rescue Search and Rescue Unit that retrieved Trevor that day, there was one helicopter that was focused on trying to locate him at the, at the bottom of Apache. And the other helicopter was trying to rescue the two other hikers that he was with that morning who didn't slip. They were smart enough to realize they were immediately in a very dangerous situation. And uh, they they uh, tied themselves to the closest tree until search and rescue could get there. But um, I saw pictures of. Uh, the search and rescue took a photo that that day of um, that section of trail where, this, where the accident happened. And I just keep asking myself, what in the world was he doing out there? I mean, because, you know, on the northeast face, uh, facing slope, you get very little sun during the day. What little sun you get, you might get a little snow melt and then it refreezes at night. Snow melt, refreeze, snow melt, refreeze, and then on top of that, there was three to four inches of fresh snow that covered up all the ice that they couldn't see. And one of the things that I um, that I told Trevor before before he left is, um, don't make any stupid decisions. You're a talented hiker, but you got to make smart decisions. And I, I I told him that you know if he when he was in high school, if he a go to a party or something, I'd say, before he'd leave the door, I'd say, Trevor, make smart decisions tonight. And it was a mantra that, that I carried with him on the trail. I said, Trevor, just make smart decisions for me. And when I saw the photo of that section of trail, the first thing that came to my mind was he had no business being out there. It was probably a 60-degree slope. You, could, you couldn't you could hardly even see the trail because it was covered in snow. He had no ice axe to stabilize himself. He had no micro spikes to prevent himself from slipping on the ice. And so the interesting thing is, and, and part of what I hope to accomplish by talking with you and, and the article that I wrote in the Trek and podcast on Backpack Radio is to just help educate people. So one of the first things that I did after the accident is I reached out the gut hook and I said, my son died in this on, on Apache peak. Would you consider putting a virtual waypoint on the app done 24 hours later? There was a virtual waypoint on there, you know, big red triangle with the white exclamation point in it that called out how dangerous this section was. And even said that a, that hiker had died in 2020. The next day I, I said, would you be willing to put a photo of Trevor you know, kind of is, kind of is, um, to memorialize him, but also here's a photo of the Trevor of the, of the trail condition. 24 hours later, it was done. And I think to myself, you know, I'm not a through hiker myself, but you know, every night before, and I would imagine most through hikers do this every night before he'd go to sleep, he'd pull out gut hook and he'd look to see what was ahead, you know, on the following day, what was the elevation? What were the water sources like? And had he, that information been there for him he was so confident in himself and i think he he wanted to push himself as much as he could i think he would have still crossed that section but what i hope to get out of this gut hook adding that in there is that at least he would have had the information available to him and that's what i hope you know, will happen for future hikers. Whether they decide to continue on and hike through that section is, is their discretion. But at least they might have a little bit more information about how dangerous it can be. And um, so one of the other initiatives that I'm hopeful to work on with uh, Hook is for them to publish a, um, an alternate uh, bad weather route that that goes right up and over top of Apache peak, as opposed to uh, wrapping around that Northeast facing slope. And if you do that, now you've got a lot of information for somebody who may be somewhat inexperienced to make better decisions, risk management decisions about how they should proceed. And, um, and so, so that's really what I'm, what I'm hopeful. And what he have? done it despite all this information, maybe, but I would have at least felt better knowing that he would have had that information.
1: The key is to know that you have options. Well, uh, the key is to know that you have options, but the key is also to know ahead of time that you are going to need other equipment. You're going to need additional equipment regardless of which direction yep. you decided to go up and over Apache. Peak.
0: Yeah, you're a hundred percent correct. And I talked to two of the rescuers that were involved um, in his, uh, in his, uh, well, not rescue, not rescue for him, but I guess retrieval of Trevor, but they said the conditions that day were such. And he, he slipped in such a perfect spot. There was, there were no trees or boulders to slow him down And he just picked up speed immediately and the feedback that they provided. And I think that it's important for others to know is even if he would have had his ice axe, he pro his fate probably would not have changed. If, unless he had, you know, a tremendous amount of mountaineering experience and knowing how to self arrest in that type of scenario, it probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have helped him. So just, a, just having the right equipment is not enough. You need to know how to use it.
1: And a lot of, a lot of hikers, a lot of PCT hikers don't.
0: They're counting and, on learning and, how to use it And, you know, that's a great point. And when I spoke to um, the two gentlemen that he was with on the morning of the accident, you know, they said, you know, we've been hiking, you know, hiking some elevation, you know, you know, up to Mount Laguna down to the desert and back up. And we had, we had hiked in some mountainous terrain over some snow, but it was nothing like this. And he said, this was the first real dangerous section that we came across. And we just didn't know. We didn't know. Uh, One of the gentlemen that he was with was Australian, never seen snow in his life. And they were with one of the other gentlemen that he was hiking with was, uh, was German. I don't, I'm not familiar with what his mountaineering or snow experience was, but I can't imagine it was significant and so it's one of those things as you said you just i think the, the mindset is we'll kind of learn along the way you know there there's a similar scenario out near mount Baden pal and fortunately for the two gentlemen that that he was with and they chose to continue hiking they took a few days off trail but they chose to continue on they took the lessons learned from from that accident And um, he said there were a number of northeast-facing slopes that we bypassed and just went right up and over top of the peak. I think the mindset is we're going to learn as we go. We'll learn how to use our gear as we go. Uh, We'll we'll get some experience with it in less dangerous (laughs) uh, situations. And hopefully when we really need it, we'll know how to use it. And that just wasn't the case with him.
1: If Apache Peak has usually been closed because of burn and that kind of stuff, is there a, like a third there alternative, is. which is basically a road walk? Or yeah,
0: right around mile marker 168, I think. Trevor's accident was at uh, 169 and a half. There is a uh, trail by the name of Spitler Peak. You uh, hike down about four and a half or five miles to the trailhead, and then you can road walk about 11 miles into Idlewild. And that's what the vast majority of all hikers would do. They would either take that alternate um, and there's, you know, safety issues doing road walks or a lot of people would just uh, pull into Paradise Valley Cafe at around mile marker 155, you know, get the, get their world famous cheeseburger. And then they'd hitch a ride into, into Idlewild. And that just wasn't his mindset. He wanted to put as many miles underneath his feet as he could. And I think he wanted to hike as many miles of the PCT as he could. Um, You know, it's interesting you say that because I reached out to the PCTA and asked them what it would take to either a move the trail to go right up and over top of Apache or B just create a bad weather alternate. And they, you know, there are a lot of reasons and, and, you know, they're good people. I'm not going to say anything bad about the organization. But what they kept reiterating over and over and over to me is you got to understand how difficult it is to move a trail or to create a trail. Even that what I was proposing wouldn't be any more than a quarter mile or a half mile long, very short. But they said, Doug, what you have to understand is that there is already an existing alternate that people have been using for years which is the roadwalk. And, and I struggled with that, that there's a reason that hikers go out there and it's not to do roadwalks. If there are bushwhacking alternates that are safer, I think many people would prefer that. And if you look at some of the the documents on the creation of the PCT, there are many times throughout the document and when it, in which it talks about trying to create an, uh, you know, a, a positive outdoor wilderness experience. And I just don't know how a roadwalk fits into that model. You know, I've, I've come to the realization that moving the trail, even albeit, you know, a quarter mile or an alternate is, um, is probably not a, a likely scenario. But, you know, some of the other agencies, the United States Forest Service and others who might be able to weigh in, um, on, on their feelings with that, are not a lot of them are not currently accessible because, you know, their district offices are closed because of corona. There's a um, San Jacinto Wilderness District Ranger Station in Idlewild that's been closed since, you know, middle of March. I've, I've made multiple phone calls to them to try to talk to them about it. And uh, so it's probably not likely. So I think um, hiker education. And public service announcements and, you know, wonderful people like yourself having me on your podcast, I think, are probably the the most appropriate mechanisms by which to, um, you know, to share this message. I did speak with somebody at the Pacific uh, Crest Trail Association about maybe collaborating with them on doing some fundraising and then maybe some content development for an online educational module. That might be able to um, to uh, to help hikers. I propose that maybe it, it and somehow be tied to the issuance of their permit, and they encouraged me to decouple those those concepts the best I can. But so if it's purely voluntary, you know, I don't know how many people would watch it. But making the information available and and trying to drive uh, traffic a uh, successful scenario for me.
1: I feel like that type of content, though, would be important, particularly for the PCT and the CDT, because it's not like even that area, whether you're talking Indian Peak or whether you're talking Baden-Powell or whether you're talking any of those desert sections that have snow are the only places that you're possibly going to get snow because the Sierras are waiting. So it's not like it's well, you know, it doesn't necessarily apply to everybody type of thing either.
0: You know, you're you're putting your, your life at risk. You're walking away from from a life for probably at least four and a half or five months, if not longer. I can't imagine, although I'm sure I would probably be surprised that, that many people just, you know, come November, they just decide out of the blue that they're going to hike the PCT and start in March and, you know, not do, proper planning or preparation. And so maybe there's optimism that that could just be yet one resource that people could go to to educate themselves about what's in store for their their trip.
1: I know I personally would appreciate it because even though I grew up in snow, it's been 20 or 30 years since I've really had to deal with it.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that our families thought about is should we start a foundation in in his honor and or in his name and and the monies that we'd be able to raise could be used to do um mountaineering and, and snow education, maybe up in Idlewild. So if we could fund hikers who might want to come in three, four, five days early and get some of that training where there are plenty of conditions that would facilitate training and it would be, you know, hands-on classroom, you know, type, type training. I've thought about trying to do, um, Julietta Chauncey who uh, is one of the co-hosts on Backpacker Radio. She's got a very successful YouTube channel and we talked about perhaps collaborating on doing an ice axe and micro spike drive of gently used equipment. And then maybe people could, oh, Paradise Valley Cafe, you haven't heard me say this yet. I promise you that I'm going to reach out to talk to you about this, but could could we send the equipment to Paradise Valley Cafe and put them in hiker boxes so the hikers who made the same mistake that Trevor did and, and get there without their equipment would now have the equipment that they could take with them to you know, make the trek into Idlewild. And then what I think is really cool is Idlewild's home to a lot of trail angels. And, and then they could drop the the equipment off at Idlewild to a trail angel. And then they could just recirculate it back down to paradise Valley cafe. So there's just this big circular movement of the equipment, making sure that it's in the hands of the right people at the right time, at the right moment, they need it. So all kinds of concepts, you know that I've that I'm trying to come up with on which we might be able to do this and so obviously my focus this year is going to be on, on Apache Peak but there are other sections on trail Apache Peak is not the only dangerous section on trail and maybe we can maybe we could start moving from dangerous section to dangerous section to to help hikers and um, yeah so Uh, That's the hope and that's the plan. Maybe somehow we we chisel away at it one small, one hiker at a time and maybe it'll make a difference. And who knows, maybe 25 years from now, you know, I'll be hopefully still walking around and and retired somewhere. And I don't know, maybe the legend of Trevor Lair will be circulating somewhere on the trail and, and there'll be urban legends of how many lives he, his story is saved and things of that nature. That would be my dream.
1: That would be pretty incredible.
0: <laughs> Not likely, but that would be incredible.
1: I don't know. The, the trail community is pretty damn small. All things considered, they, they know each other and they love to tell stories. So,
0: you know, it's interesting you say that, uh, you know, some of these, well, I call them celebrity, you know, uh, YouTube hikers. Um, I've, I've had some conversations with a few of them, either by phone or by text who want to help. I've reached out to a video production company where, you know, maybe we create a three to four minute PSA safety video where we tell Trevor's story. And then the, the call to action is making sure that you have the right equipment at the right time at the right place with the right training and then making good sound decisions and developing good risk management strategies. And, you know, my hope is, is that maybe some of these celebrity hikers would help, you know, share the, this, uh, this video on their channels and get the word out. You know, I'd love for to have something out, uh, in time for next year's hiking season, assuming there's going to be one, <laughs> uh, fingers. From crossed. Your lips, yeah. Fingers crossed. You know, I've thought long and hard. I, I, I've in, in many emails that I use to hikers. I've developed the a, 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 a good friend of mine, Bill Glazer, who I went to high school with, who's going to hike the PCT this year, starting on April 23rd, and he canceled his trip. But he said, you know, we should start a social media campaign. We could. We could call it hashtag embrace the alternate instead of embrace the suck. (laughs) Embrace the alternate. So, um, But the hiking community has been incredible since the article I wrote, the Backpacker Radio podcast, and others. I've had hundreds of hikers from around the world reach out to me, and it just warms my heart more than you can even imagine. Some of the things that they say and that they've done and that they're going to do in Trevor's memory and how his story has changed their approach the hiking, there's a woman, a young woman, 23 years old, uh, Taco from from Kentucky. She hiked the uh, AT in 2018 and was is planning on doing the PCT next year. Sent me an, an Instagram message and said, would you be willing to spend some time talking to me on the phone? I'd just love to pick your brain. You seem very knowledgeable about the first 200 miles of the trail, and I'd just love to hear more about Trevor's hiking and the gear that he used and and the sections that caused him trouble and more about more about that section and i spent two hours talking to her on the phone those are the the stories that make me happy i tell so many people that you know this the grief and the pain has been so intense that i don't in, ever envision a day in my life where i'll be able to experience joy and happiness again and ironically enough out of this cloud of grief comes I don't want to call it joy and I don't want want to call it happiness but when I get those types of phone calls or messages from hikers it makes me feel really good and I feel like I'm making a difference albeit one hiker at a time and I'm okay with that <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah you uh you've been adopted
0: <laughs> Well I have uh I have become infatuated with the through hiking community and uh, you know, a lot of people have suggested that um, you know, like uh, Martin Sheen in the movie, the way where he hikes the Camino yeah, kind of to honor his, his deceased son. There is not a whole lot in this world that I wouldn't give to try to, to spread his ashes out over the PCT and finish that trail for him. Um, And I know this is going to sound like a really lame, easy out excuse, but, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm pretty entrenched into my career. I would describe it as a pretty successful career. And my job and my career, I don't think would be waiting for me on the back end uh, after six months, after a six month hiatus. And, uh, you know, we can make the, the finances work, I think. And but I know that's an easy excuse because I've seen lots of people walk away from, you know, big careers, big salaries, sell sell their homes, sell everything that they that they own, just for the opportunity to hike this. So I guess it's more about mindset and willingness and ability than it is than it is anything else. Yeah, boy, I dream about it every day, going out and and finishing that trail for them. And so, I don't know. I may have to to wait till I'm retired. Assuming I'm still around by then. And, um, yeah, if I were, if I were single and, uh, or diver- divorced and, and no daughter, I would probably consider walking away from my career to do this. That's how badly I want it. But, yeah, we'll see. So if I'm adopted, I'm happy, happy to be adopted.
1: Well, I would also be willing to bet that not even going so far as to say that you have to take six months off even though i know that that you want to hike those miles but knowing the community like i know them at this point i would be willing to bet that they would that there would be people out there who would be willing to help you carry some of that load
0: well it's interesting you say that uh, a lot of hikers have have already extended that invitation i've probably had no less than 20 people who um who were going to go out next year and said, you know, is there something small of his that I could take with me? You know, would you be comfortable enough allowing me to take some of his ashes out on trail and, and doing this for you? And it's that type of generosity that it's, you know, my son became, he fell in love with, with the trail. I call it just the trail because of you know, in the, in the Trek article that I wrote, I said that it, it, he described it to me as though he could, you know, when he would get up to the top of a, you know, beautiful mountain peak that he could see into the soul of our planet. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, but it was the community of people that he got to spend time with that. I think he loved more than anything. And, uh, Trevor, was a minimal minimalist. He was very simplistic in nature through hiking was perfect for him. You know, he, he told me in the year before his death that he, he said how cool it would be if he could move to and work in a metro area and he would never have to own a car the rest of his life. He, he was convinced that autonomous cars would be driving people around in the next 10 years. And so buying a car now would just be a waste of money, but (laughs) Um, but he just give him his gear and a tent and, and, and a trail to hike on and, and, and some through hikers that he could associate with and spend time with. And that's where he was happiest. So yeah, through hiking was, was perfect for him. Uh, he didn't, he, he didn't want much. He didn't need for much. Just give me, give me something really small you know like his apartment just a small little tiny studio not even a one bedroom apartment that he had in college i mean it was hardly big enough for a closet but that's all he said he wanted it's all he needed yeah that trail was his home
1: for his first day on trail i've got to assume that that you guys talked
0: we did so as i as i shared earlier my my daughter and myself and Trevor flew out to, uh, flew out to Phoenix um, about five days before he hit trail. Sadly, my, my wife had commitments back here, and she couldn't go. And uh, so my parents, I left on the – he left for trail on a Monday morning. I left to come home on a Friday. And um, he was with me at the Phoenix airport. And uh, I I share the story. I gave him a big big hug and Trevor was, it was usually very moving, powerful type stuff. The the relationships he had with his friends were completely different, but very, very serious, loving father, son, you know, type of relationship. And, and I gave him a big hug. And normally for him, it's a hug and let go and off we go. And, and I kind of went to let go and he just, he held on for a little bit longer. And he just whispered to me, "Thanks for helping this dream become a possibility for me, Dad." And uh, and I just looked at him and I said, "Go hike the shit out of that trail." And uh, but uh, we had had kind of a game plan that you know everything that, that we had researched suggested. Listen to your body. Take it slow. You know, don't, you're eventually going to build up the big miles. And so our game plan was, I said, let's, you know, let's plan on 10, 12 miles a day for the first week and then start slowly ramping it up. And and so, and I said, uh, worst case scenario, if you want to, you know, hike to uh, Hauser Creek or Hauser Canyon, which is about 15 miles in, I said, I wouldn't go more than that. Well of course he hikes all the way into Lake Marina does 20 miles on the first day. And um our conversation was more about the terminus how excited he was to get on trail. You know it was kind of a, a cool blustery day. I think I don't think the temperatures were more than low 50s. It was it was really kind of chilly. Lots of cloud cover so it was an ideal day you know to be on trail and for big miles and so you know, we talked that morning, uh, you know, my parents dropped him off at the Terminus and his his pack was in the back of, of the Subaru and they, he popped the hatch and threw his backpack on and one of his smart bottles flew out of his pack and fell onto the ground and cracked and water went everywhere. And so, uh, so, fortunately, you know, I told him, I said, don't, you don't need to carry a whole lot of water with you to start off. There's a flowing creek at mile four. So, camel up before you start you probably won't need more than a liter of water and he had two so at least he 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 had um he was okay to get going but you know that the trail right as it starts kind of weaves in and out and around the the road that you drive into and um you know so there were a lot of smiles and pictures and tears from my parents dropping them off they were so proud of him and so they started to drive away and You know, as they started to drive away, my, my dad honked a horn at him and Trevor just picked up his two trekking poles and clicked them together. Like, like Dorothy's clicking her, you know, her, her her slippers together. And, and dad said, we drive a mile or two up and we just kind of sit there and wait for him. And the trail would kind of come up and weave in and around the road. And he'd see the car and he'd click the, you know, his trekking poles back at us. But, you know, we didn't talk a lot about, um, a lot about his day and the, and the miles he put in, he was happy to get to Lake Marina. He was, he was pretty tired and um, he, that's where he first met, you know, some, some members of his trail family. Uh, They didn't talk a whole lot. They didn't camp together, but they saw each other and they recognized each other's faces. And it wasn't really until day two. Um, It was a shorter day for him. A lot of rain, on day two, he went from Lake Marina, which is mile marker 20, uh, up to 34. So he only did 14 miles that day. But there was a large group of them that had pulled off and set up their tent site there. And so that's where he met a lot of his, his uh, trail family.
1: And those, the trail family keeps in touch with you at this point and lets you know
0: how they're doing, where they are? Yeah, there's a, a there was a younger uh, gentleman, uh, a hiker from Milwaukee. His name was Leo. Uh, you know, Trevor was only 22, and so he and Leo really kind of headed off well. And you know, they would do some early morning hikings together before or they would put in some miles before they would re- reconvene for lunch with the rest of the group. And um, so, matter of fact, I just uh, spoke with him uh, before you and I jumped on the on the call tonight, and just checked in to see how he was doing and just kind of wanted to catch up. But now that I'm in a better place to where I can talk to him, the Australian that he was with Cody, um, just left Ashland, Oregon a couple days ago. And I talked to him very frequently. Um, I try to talk to him by video conference every, um, every time he takes a zero, the other hiker, uh, Yannick who is German Um, he fell behind Cody in the Sierra, uh, north of Mount or Mount Whitney and is probably two weeks behind him now. And because I really didn't speak with him a whole lot directly because, uh, he spoke German and, and I don't think was terribly comfortable speaking to a, to a stranger in which his you know, command of the English language was not great. So, uh, Yannick and I only spoke a couple of times on the phone. Um, but we've kind of lost touch, but, but I speak with Cody, the Australian, uh, his trail name is socks and I keep up with him and I am so blessed that he gives me his time and takes me along on his journey with him. You know, the first really big moment that, that I got emotional when, you know, with him continuing on is, uh, he made it up to the top of Mount Whitney and uh that was trevor was really stoked to, to get up there he was so excited to to see mount whitney and um so cody built a uh, a rock cairn up at the top of mount whitney in, in trevor's honor and uh took a picture of it with with his ice axe next to it and and that was just a real emotional day because i knew that that, that would have been a big milestone for trevor and um, on the flip side, you know, primarily because of the snow in the Sierra and, and whatnot, Trevor was hoping to make it to Crater Lake by July 1st, but I don't think he would have made it. And, um, so I know, uh, Cody will probably hit Crater Lake in the next 10 days or so. And, um, that'll be an emotional moment for him and me. And, but he's just been so giving of his time and he talks to me and almost as if, we have the same conversations that we would have. If I was talking to Trevor, I ask him about his gear and how he's feeling and you know, what kind of food he's been eating. And he sends me photos and pictures and it's just incredible. And we had a celebration of life for Trevor, um, about three weeks ago, back in Ohio. Finally, it just now happened because of COVID. And I asked, um, I asked uh, Cody if he would be willing to pen a eulogy that we could read at, uh, at the celebration of life, and he did, and not a dry eye in the house. It was just very meaningful and very powerful. My friend Bill read it, which was more meaningful because he's a thru-hiker himself. And um, So, yeah, it's been great. So I, I stay in touch primarily with Cody. Maybe every 10 days to 14 days we, we connect by video chat.
1: You, you've lost a son and you've gained a friend.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. And um, when he goes back to um, when he goes back to Australia, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that that we'll stay in touch. He's just such a, a kind gentleman. He was a bit older than Trevor. I suspect he may be around 30 years old. So he was a bit senior to Trevor. Um, I think he's a fitness instructor back in Australia and just super in shape, um, young man. And, you know, he's, he's gone on record. He said, you know, everybody deals with grief differently. If your wife would be want to ever talk to me or your daughter or Trevor's girlfriend or your parents, I will always make myself available to talk to them. And that was, that's pretty cool that's pretty cool. He even he even said to me he said um, he said you give me the word. He said I think that I have to be because of my visa, I have to be out of the United States I think by September 12th, 13th somewhere in that neighborhood and he goes and I think that I'm going to be done sometime in, in mid August. He says you just give me the nod and I'll fly back to Idaho and and I'll put a sign up on the trail to you know to to, to memorialize Trevor and I spoke to Cody and Yannick the day after the accident, and they were—they they watched the whole thing right play out in front of them, and um, they watched him go down for about 150 feet before they lost sight of him. And and the day after the accident, uh, I was able to connect to them. I don't even remember exactly how through Instagram, and and we spoke on the phone, and they were crying, I was crying. I don't think. Any of us really remember much of what we said. I do remember begging them to get off trail. I said that I've, I remember vividly telling them that I'd begged Trevor to get off, and he didn't. And with COVID, I said I think the, the trail is cursed this year, so so please get off. But you know, I think at the time there were travel restrictions to Europe, and and Cody would have had to have connected somewhere and i didn't think that they felt like they had anywhere to go so i feel i think they felt that that's why they had to stay so but yeah he's been fantastic and yeah he said hey you want me to go put a put a stake in the ground and put a sign up to uh, memorialize him you can count me in so but yeah it's uh it's interesting i i thanked him for for the generosity of, the, of that offer but My friend Bill and my father, who is 71 years old, are going to go out to um, probably fly into Palm Springs, drive up to Idlewild, hitch down to Paradise Valley Cafe, and we're going to section hike those last 25 miles and hike to the accident site. And um, who knows? Maybe there will be something conveniently left behind by the, <laughs> when I'm done. I don't know, but um, yeah, it'll be an emotional day, but it's just something that I feel that I have to do. And, uh, and I, I want to do it. I just, I feel like he'll be talking to me. And it's the one thing that I wish, I wish I could dream about him and I don't dream about him. I wish he'd come to me in my dreams. And, and he has a couple times, but I don't know, maybe if, if I'm out there on trail with him, maybe he'll he'll talk to me somehow. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too.
1: The trail. From from what I hear, the trail, the the trail provides.
0: <laughs> from we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, I was going to say the same thing. It's a very common <laughs> phrase, and if and if there's any way that 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 can happen, then. that'd be phenomenal. You know, I originally wanted to go out there to do that section. When he fell, he had a lot of gear on the outside of his pack. His rain jacket, his rain pants, his water filtration, his cook system, first aid kit. I mean, the list goes on and on. And uh, when he fell, all of that stuff came back. So when the, uh sheriff's department subsequently gave his pack and all his belongings to the coroner who gave it to the funeral home that subsequently sent it back to us i was going through this and i'm like this is only like half of his half of his gear and um so the original plan was that i would go out there there is a very steep trail at mile 169 i think uh it's called the um Apache Creek trail that takes you down to Apache Creek. And I wanted to bushwhack up the the creek and start heading up that side of the mountain where he would have likely come to rest. And I wanted to see his final resting place and try and find some of his gear. And, um, one of the search and rescuers who've been very generous with their time. And I was telling him that all of his gear on the outside of his pack came out and they said, well, do you have a, uh, a gear list of everything you had? I said, "Yeah, lighter pack. I've got everything down to the ounce and and the color and everything <laughs> else. I, I can give it to you." And he said, "Email it to me." And uh, he said, "Who knows? You know. He goes. We do some trainings up there. Maybe I'll maybe uh, I'll get up there. Eric and I, who's the other rescuer. Maybe we'll get up there and we'll 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 do some digging and look around." And about two weeks later, I get a phone call, and uh, it was Mother's Day, I believe and Cameron says to me says, uh, yeah, Eric and I, um, went up Spittler peak, which is about four and a half or five miles, hiked another three miles into the accident site. And by this time all the snow had melted and they traversed, uh, back and forth, um, down 600 feet of, um, of mountainous slope and then hiked back up doing the same scanning method. And, uh, he said, "We've got almost all of Trevor's gear. Every, every, everything, down to his hyperlight mountain gear zipper pull that that came off one of his uh, zippers on his pack." He said, "The only thing that we weren't able to find, uh, he lost his right shoe on the fall, and he lost a Suunto Traverse uh, GPS hiking watch that we got him for Christmas. That I was hoping." that would become my watch afterwards and he said uh, we even spent an extra hour looking hoping to find that watch for you that was going to be the the uh, you know the cherry on top so to speak but they have since sent the box to me his trekking poles sunglasses running his sun hat first aid kit water filtration raincoat I mean literally almost everything they packed it up in a box and sent it back to me and uh, i've still not opened it yet, mind you, but it's sitting uh in my home office here i'm looking at it right now, uh still packaged up and but for two people who have never met me before or my family before to do an act of kindness like that, probably put in you know fifteen to seventeen miles that day just to go retrieve some lost belongings of somebody that they'd never met before. For a family that never met before, is this accident in, in many ways has brought the best out in people and has renewed my faith in humanity. There's so much that's that's good have come of something so terribly tragic. And um, so when we go out to to uh, Southern California, uh, my family wants to you know host a, assuming we're able to. Uh, host a barbecue or luncheon for them and and thank them in person. And we have a large financial donation that we want to make on behalf of our family uh, in person. Trevor's death raised a lot of money for the, for the RMRU search and rescue. And uh, what's really cool is they have since been able to take some of that money and they went out and bought a brand new rescue sled that they need. And uh, they sent me a photo of it with the whole team Standing next to this rescue sled, and then there's a zoom-in photo of a nameplate on the rescue sled with Trevor's name on it. It's really, really cool. And then the ironically enough, a day or two later, they had posted a picture on their Facebook page uh, rescuing somebody from a far distance away. You couldn't see the the hiker, you know, for their privacy purposes, but they were using the rescue sled, bringing them down the mountain. So that was really cool.
1: Is that donation site or whatever still open, or did you close it down? No,
0: it 100% is. So if you go to rmru.org backslash donate, they accept donations year-round. They are a 100% self-funded 501c3. I believe they said on average between gear and training that they are always doing for their for the rescuers, I think I may be wrong, but I think they said it costs about twenty-five hundred dollars per year per rescuer, as well as the uh, as the trainings that they do. And um, so, this was a very welcome sight for them. Trevor's girlfriend also did a uh, birthday fundraiser a few months ago. And w- and ask people to donate you know, in lieu of a birthday present for her, and that raised about thirty five hundred dollars. So yeah I I want to say um, and their numbers are a little bit different from I think what from what I've been told, and their numbers are probably more accurate than mine. but I want to say somewhere north of ten thousand is how much has been raised, but I think they're probably f- figuring somewhere maybe in the six to seven thousand range it doesn't matter um that money is being used to save lives they saved the lives of of the two hikers that trevor or uh, cody and yannick that trevor was with that day uh sadly that location is a frequented spot for rescuers or for rescues um in the early uh hiking season fortunately most people just walk away with a broken ankle or you know broken leg But the work they do is so incredibly powerful, and and they just cover a very small, well, it's a very large section, but comparatively speaking, it's just a small, they're a little small section that they cover, and the work they do is so important, and um, and I even offered to be their brand uh, ambassador or spokesperson, if I could, to help help raise money. That's how much I believe in them.
1: If I remember correctly from the Backpacker Radio podcast, they doing the rescue is sort of a second job for them. It
0: is 100%.
1: So they, if, if, if a rescue is called, they literally have to kind of drop their pen and, and head out the door.
0: Yeah. So that is one of the criteria for, um, you know, when you volunteer to be a rescuer for them, there's of course criteria and, and some physical fitness that I think that you may have to, to meet, but you also have to be supported you know, you know, heavily from your family and employer, because you're sitting at your desk, you know, at two o'clock on a Monday afternoon and there's a rescue called maybe your day to go. Now, what I did not know, I thought it was like a call system of some sort that these five people are on call from, you know, Monday from nine to five or whatever. But as I, as I understood it and listening to the PR person from the RMRU who did the uh, supplementary interview on Backpacker Radio, she said every rescuer gets a call, and whether you choose to respond based on your availability is, is at your discretion. And I don't know if it had anything to do with the severity of Trevor's accident. I don't know if it had to do with the fact that there, there was speculation that, that somebody may have um, perished in the accident but there were 24 rescuers who responded that day. Wow. Yeah. And they all put their lives at risk. Of course at the time, you know, the shaming that was going on by the by hikers who felt that covid warranted those on trail to get off trail, there was a lot of shaming and you know, you're not just putting yourself at risk if you if something happens and there's a rescue. You're putting the rescuers at risk because if you have COVID, you might give that to them and they're out there trying to save your life. And so when I say that they put their lives at risk, you know, the, the conditions that they were, were very dangerous, especially for those who were, who were up in the uh, choppers, low cloud cover, snowing, uh, big wind gusts, cold you know, just very dangerous, treacherous conditions. And so they put their, their own risk or their own lives at risk just for the, the conditions. But, you know, anybody who's out there in a pandemic, you know, they're, they're putting their lives at risk in another way too. And so, uh, I'm not sure what drew that many people that day. Yeah. I can't say enough about those people. They're great people. The Riverside County, uh, sheriff they are, they are basically an extension of the Riverside County Sheriff in Hemet, California. Their their warehouse or work workstation or building, whatever you want to call it, the RMRU is as I understand it kind of right behind the sheriff station. So the sheriff, the county sheriff um, runs the rescue and they make all the the calls and and the allocation of resources and then the RMRU are just kind of like the hired guns who who go and do what they're told and put their lives at at risk and yeah so between the riverside county sheriff the california highway patrol um they they had two pilots and the choppers that day the medic who was the first to get to trevor um was california highway patrol and then all the rescuers from the rmru it just um the generosity that they do of their time and the dangers of which they go out and expose themselves to i can't even begin to to communicate how thankful i am for them
1: as is probably every hiker
0: well and and what i tell tell people and i kind of wrote in the in my trek article when i encouraged people to donate i said you know today the rescue was my son tomorrow it might be you or it might be your son so you know, it's interesting. We've looked at uh, search and rescue insurance, and the more and more I started digging into this, first of all, we we were confident that he probably wouldn't need it, but you know, what if there was a likelihood that he had to activate his search and rescue, would we need insurance? And I spent what felt like a lifetime trying to research this, and eventually what I walked away from, and I'm sure I'm probably wrong, so you know, your listeners can can leave comments and you know below, but um, it's just like if you go swimming at a beach out in California, the lifeguard is there that's paid for by taxpayer money. That is that is a gift to visitors to bring people into their into their communities. And so, the way that I read it and understood it, and it's probably wrong, is that. Uh, Search and Rescue operates much the same way. It's paid for by by taxpayers and that that is not a gift. That's probably not the right way to describe it, but, um, you know, as a way to attract visitors and hikers per se uh, from the, obviously, to the PCT. And so we do not buy Search and Rescue insurance. Trevor made some small donations to the PCTA, but I'd be willing to bet that a lot of hikers look at this adventure, you know, other than the expenses that they will have to incur on trail, food, gear, occasional nights in a hostel or hotel or whatever the case may be, you know, that the, that the PCT is free. And when you look at search and rescue and when you look at the, the volunteer work that takes place to maintain the trails, it is not free. And so I would encourage anyone who has the means to do so, to um, to donate to the RMRU or a search and rescue of your choosing to the PCTA, to the AT Conservatory, whatever trail it is that, that you frequent and you hike or you're going to through hike, it doesn't come free. And maybe you just give of your time and you volunteer some of your own time to clear trails or whatever the case may be, but it certainly is not free. And we, we found that out. uh, We found that out the hard way, but um, I encourage as many people as, as will listen that the RMRU is a very worthy place to, to, to donate your money, especially if you're planning on uh, if you've ever hiked or plan to hike uh, the PCT in the future.
1: And the RMRU, as you said, is, is one small group in a small area. Yes. And it's basically that group repeated over and over, and over and again. And over, over and over and over again.
0: Trails. That is 100% correct. Yes.
1: Where where can people find you? Where should people find you to reach out and ask questions or offer help or, or whatever?
0: Sure. So uh, they can find me on uh, Instagram at Douglas underscore Lair, L-A-H-E-R. I'm not, I'm not that hard to find. A lot of people have uh, also found me um, Douglas Lair on Facebook and they, they instant message me that way as well. Yeah, those are probably the two best ways. I have a Twitter account, but I'm a sports fanatic and I use Twitter for, (laughs) for sports news. Most, most, but I, my, Instagram account is almost dedicated exclusively for the hiking community.
1: Okay. Perfect. Yep. yep. What was Trevor's favorite day on trail?
0: Um, it's a, um, it's a controversial day, ironically enough. So they had, they had just, so one of the, the strategies that Trevor and I incorporated is that he was not going to be able to go in Uh, to as many towns as he had wanted to, um, you know, for resupply. And and I use Big Bear as an example early on during during COVID. um, They made it very clear on the hiking communities that they did not want hikers coming in into their town. And so Trevor wanted to respect that as much as he could. And he knew that he would be doing eight to 10 day food carries, potentially. He had originally planned on uh, stopping in Julian, which is a very famous stop for hikers in the early going. But um, I think he got some trail magic, at scissors crossing and kept going. And then the following day, he got to a trailhead right about, right around mile marker 100. I think maybe 101.2, there's a trailhead. And they walk up to the trailhead and there is a, it was either a U-Haul or a rider box truck. <laughs> And this was very controversial at the time, so you'll have to for- forgive Trevor's naivete for this. But uh, the driver of this truck owned a drinking establishment in, um, uh, uh, called Montezuma Valley Cafe, which was not too far away. And so he figured people weren't going to be coming in to his establishment and the only way that he could get them in there was to go pick them up, and so he, he rented this big box truck and just waited at the trailhead and filled his, his his truck up, and so Trevor and probably 20 other hikers crawled into the back of this box truck, and there were photos taken. They were just all innocent photos of a bunch of young kids having a really good time that made its way onto social media, and people were lambasting them for you know we're supposed to be social distancing, and you guys are in there all huddled together in a box truck. But the driver pulled down the the back, uh, you know, the back door, and it was just completely pitch dark, and everybody's had their flashlights on and their phone, and they're getting bounced around. I think it was only about a four or five mile drive, and so yeah, I think his favorite day on trail is he got in there and they they ordered a, you know, his his tramley ordered a big uh case of corona i I, Mm -hmm. ironically enough and they just sat out in the sun on the back patio and and enjoyed a cold beer with each other and so yeah and then the next day he got the they they were pulling up into uh warner springs and he he took a side trip out to uh, eagle rock which is a very notorious not notorious a very famous place along the trail for for hikers to get their photos by and so i i would venture to say that was probably his favorite day kind of sounds like the perfect
1: hiker through hiker day
0: yeah i mean the previous day he got some trail magic he walked up to a trailhead there's somebody that you know wants to take him in so they can get some cold beer and um yeah i mean yeah it it he ends the day with
1: the corona, and yes. then the next day he sees this massive rock formation.
0: Yeah, so it was—I uh, would say that was his favorite day. I mean, maybe not his most memorable. Hiking into Mount Laguna in a blizzard um, on day three was probably his his most memorable day. He he and his uh, a, a large group, eight or ten of them, who crammed into one of the tiny houses that they had and that they have in Mount Laguna, they ordered it by Airbnb and, and it was, the snow was terrible. Blizzard, well, they describe it as blizzard like conditions, probably a bit of an embellishment, but maybe not. And, um, you know, the, the goal was, is that they wanted to kind of ride out the weather to see what it was going to be like. They spent the night there, had great, you know, nice warm place to stay. And they got up the the next morning and tried to reach out to the owner of this tiny house to rebook a second night because it was not, the snow was not slowing down. And the owner says, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but my place has already been booked tonight. And every other tiny house in Mount Laguna has been booked as well, as is the lodge. So I think by 11 o'clock, they, they all had, you know, they were hoping to get another zero in Mount Laguna. They had to load up and they had to hike out into the snow. Fortunately, they were hiking down an elevation, so the weather got a little bit better for them as they were hiking down. But it was a full day of, of snow and then trying to find a, um, you know, a protected place to, to camp that night. And uh, so I would say that might be his most memorable, but <laughs> definitely not his favorite.
1: Yeah, that, that does sound like the quintessential through hiking
0: yeah. day. You know, it was funny. The day before the accident, uh, it was an early morning. Uh, I, I want to say they were somewhere around mile marker 150, early, low 150s. And they just kept talking about Paradise Valley Cafe, you know, this famous place that gives the best cheeseburgers on trail. And so they called uh, Paradise Valley Cafe to see if they were open. I think it was fairly early, 8, 9 o'clock. They weren't co- sure whether it would be open because of COVID. And they said, yeah, we're open. Come on in. So they hiked in, and um, and I, I told Trevor, I said, because uh, I talked to him that night, I said, well, how's your cheeseburger? And he says, oh, I got a breakfast burrito, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, he said um, one of the other guys got a cheeseburger, and he said, they didn't think it was all that great. So I think that I, 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 I had the right selection by getting the breakfast burrito for breakfast and then they hiked out they stayed at uh saddle junction trail 166 and a half which is where they um, hiked on uh, march 26th And i spoke to him that night and i said how you you know i always asked him three things how is your gear holding up how are you holding up and then before he left trail is kind of crazy but i made him promise because of fear of hypothermia i said you have dry sleeping clothes you need to promise me that you will never put your sleeping clothes on during the day at risk of getting them wet because if if you don't have anything to dry to sleep in you're going to be in big trouble so i'd ask him how his gear was holding up how he was holding up and if he was if he still had dry clothes to sleep in and uh, so that was kind of our our routine when we would talk in the evening but that night we spoke for about a half hour and he just sounded exhausted. He said, dad, I feel great. My body's holding up fine. I got a few blisters, but I am just wiped out. I'm tired. And, uh, I'm anxious to finish out these last 14 miles tomorrow, get into Wild, take a couple of zeros and, uh, and then get back on trail on Monday morning. And, um, sadly just didn't make it, but he, he was loving it. His, his body was holding up great. He was in peak physical condition. He was running thirty miles a week before before he left. I mean, he was ready for this. This was his dream and uh he he trained physically he trained mentally, he did yoga, he did meditation. He knew that there were going to be mental challenges that he was going to have to overcome it just um it's a shame he only got eleven days in when this happened. Not that I would have wished it even had he been in 30 days, but he just got to experience such a small taste of what the trail had to offer.
1: Yeah. (sighs) I know we've kind of talked about the safety and the changes to gut hooks and, and things like that. What other or is there anything else that you hope his legacy will be?
0: You know, he's developed the legacy with with his friends and family that um, I won't get into. They we all know what his legacy is for us. But for hikers and those on trail, um, you know, I think it's easy to say. You know, you'll you'll hear it. I I think back to what what would have happened because I I heard about this accident Friday morning. And I was confident Trevor was well past the search site where they were looking for for him. And had it been somebody else, sadly, I think that my initial response would have been, thank goodness it was somebody else. How horrible for that person and their family. But how lucky are we that Trevor's still with us? And then you think about the hiker and their family for a moment maybe a few moments and then something distracts you. And then you go on with the rest of your day. And I know there will be a lot of people who will think how terrible this was for, for my family and for Trevor. And, you know, there've only been 12 through hiker deaths in the history of the PCT and Trevor's one of them. You know, what are the odds? One in 20,000? I have no idea. One in a lot. And somebody's got to be that one. And on that particular day, it was it was Trevor's turn. What I want his legacy to be on trail is that before you find, you know, the best hiker, I think, and the best risk management um, strategy that you can incorporate is that before you find yourself in trouble, you can forecast it, you can see it. You maybe can see it coming, and you are wise enough and skilled enough to know that maybe my skill set isn't strong enough for this particular section. You know, Juliana Chauncey, as I said, she's one of the co hosts on Backpacker Radio. She says that she's not bashful about telling people she skipped the entire Sierra on her through hike because she did not believe she had the skill set to do it. I was worried that, well, maybe Trevor was on he he wanted to be a purist and that he wanted to hike every mile that he could of of the trail and then other hikers have put it into perspective for me they say if you're in the sierra and you come across a raging river that you're going to have to ford and that's where the the trail goes across the river are you going to go across and, and ford this raging river or are you going to hike a mile or two or three miles down the river to try and find a safe place to cross. Of course, you're going to take the safe way across, but that's not the PCT. Um, Or if you take the Crater Lake alternate, the most famous alternate perhaps of any trail there is, do people shortchange themselves and say that I'm not a through hiker because I didn't hike every mile of the PCT? Of course not. So I would, hopefully his legacy will be that people will realize that you know, you can take alternates, you can do tactical retreats, you can backtrack and, and do something that may not be fun, but is safe, and you live to hike another day. Secondly, don't shortchange your safety at the expense of grams and ounces. I know that, that a lot of people will struggle to, to believe that, um, Jackie McDowell, who writes a famous book, uh, Yogi, who I believe is hiked the PCT three times. Uh, I had a conversation with her not too long ago. She's the proprietor for the outfitter shop in Kennedy Meadows. She, she told me of a story of a woman who came in and said, what's the, you know, do I need, um, micro and ice axe up in the Sierra and, uh, what are the conditions like up there? And, and I think Jackie, if I recall correctly, told me that, You know, I didn't think she needed it, but I remembered talking to you and about Trevor's story. So I told her Trevor's story and she thought long and hard about it. I'm going to sleep on it and I'm going to come back tomorrow. She came back the next day and she said, Trevor's story really moved me. I think I'm going to buy the equipment. And so Jackie picks up the equipment, takes it to the cash register, and they're getting ready to check out. And the, the young hiker picks up the equipment and she says, wow, this is a lot heavier than I thought. Uh, How much does this weigh? And I think Jackie told her what the weight, you know, I think the ice axe might be a pound and two thirds and, you know, maybe the microspites are 14 ounces. And and the woman said, well, that's entirely too much weight. Uh, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to get it then. And Jackie looked at her and she said, you have already made the decision for your own safety that you need the, the equipment. What difference does it make how much it weighs? And so I think people, I'd like to see hikers start to make decisions about safety equipment, gear based on safety and needs, then, you know, focus on what they need as opposed to focusing on what they don't need. And so, you know, that's a big one. And then just, as I said, uh, developing sound risk management strategies and um, trying to give back to the trail. Give back to the to the search and rescue this won't be the last you've heard of me. I promise you that um, hopefully Trevor's story and some public service announcements will be all over the place come the start of the next hiking season but wouldn't it be cool twenty five years from now if the Trevor of or the the legend of Trevor Lair and how many lives you saved on the PCT would be uh, that' would be pretty awesome
1: that would be way cool
0: yeah. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much, Doug, for, for reaching out and for coming on and, and telling Trevor's story.
0: My pleasure. He, um, Trevor was not a person who was much about himself. And um, so he would, uh, and I, and I, and he always joked that he, he wanted all of his friends and family to be the best version of themselves that they can be. And while he's, up in heaven or in some other dimension or wherever it is, whatever your religious belief is and what his was, I choose to believe he's in heaven. You know, he's looking down and he's probably stamping his feet that dad don't, don't be giving me all this recognition, but I would only reply to him that, um, Trevor, if you want me to be the best version of myself, this is the only way I know how is to honor you. So, uh, his His name and his story uh, will be continued to be shared and told and hopefully it will it will make a difference um, in in hikers' lives one hiker at a time right one hiker one hiker at a time yep
1: and hopefully it will inspire people to make a few different choices yep when they're out there
0: hashtag embrace the alternate <laughs> <laughs> Good social media PR campaign, I think. I'll have to pay my buddy Bill uh, for that idea, but it's a good one. Embrace the alternate.
1: Embrace the alternate. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because being out on the trails is obviously about pushing yourself and challenges and being out of your comfort zone and that kind of stuff. And I do think and I do wonder if in the scheme of that, we forget about the importance of the life vest.
0: Yep. And not just for you, but for almost every hiker out there, they've got hundreds, if not thousands of close friends and family who would be devastated by, you know, an accident or death on trail. And so I think that, you know, I, with Trevor, I talked about social responsibility you know, to others and protecting others from COVID. But you know, when you're a hiker, very rarely are you just out there hiking for yourself. You're you're out there um, sometimes hiking for a purpose on behalf of somebody else, for somebody else. But um, you're never out there alone, and they all want to see you, you know, arrive safe and sound. You know, once you've reached that uh, that terminus. So. They
1: want to talk to you tomorrow.
0: If don't mind me um, sharing a quote um, uh, for those who are not crazy about curse words, you might want to close, close your eyes. But <laughs> um,
1: Are we going to visit Ivy tat? We are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting is I, I recited his quote at Trevor's eulogy um, because that's how Trevor chose to, to live his life. And I think, to within reason and within safety parameters, everybody should choose to live their their life the same way. But so on IBTAT's final video, where he's uh, approaching the northern terminus, you know, there's excitement, there's apprehension. I think there's worry about what am I going to do tomorrow? I mean, I'm you know, you just finished this journey, and if I recall correctly, you know, he started that day with another group, but then he he was by himself at least that's what the video portrays and he pulls in to the canadian border at the northern terminus and you know he sits down and he's never uh one who's short for words and I, B, tat just sits down on the ground leans back against the um against the terminus and just sits there you know this very long pregnant pause of what felt like maybe 10 seconds it was probably only four or five seconds and he ended the the video by by saying this he looks into the video and he says you've only got one fucking life you better live that shit closed to black and i just thought that it was the perfect way to end his hike and and really that's how trevor chose to live his life may not have been the way that i would choose to live my life but it has changed my perspective on life on how i live how quickly things can be taken from you and to cherish every moment that you have with your friends and family and to have the courage to follow your dreams and that's what trevor did and i would just encourage all of your listeners to live their life the same way and and i'm guessing since your listeners are through hikers or the vast majority of them are they already subscribe to this uh to this life belief but um If they haven't, it'd be a good one to adopt now. You've only got one fucking life. You better go live that shit.
1: Get back show notes and links mentioned in this podcast can be found on our website at hiking-through.com special thanks to Doug for sharing Trevor's story and Maya Wynn for the use of the song try again I hope after hearing Trevor's story that as you explore the great outdoors you make conscious choices that will bring you home safe I'll see you on the trail